like to show that video when we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and uh, I'll give you some instructions about it here in a minute, but um, I just want you to remember that it's it's a big deal to take the Lord's Supper, and some of you today shouldn't take the Lord's Supper because, um, quite honestly, if you're not in the kingdom of God, if you're not a, a, a Christian, you're not supposed to take the Lord's Supper. If you are not in fellowship, right fellowship with someone else, you're not supposed to take the Lord's Supper until you make things right uh, with that other person. Now, if you've tried, then it's okay, and, and you can come forward. You don't have to worry about that, but the Scripture is very clear. Do not take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and that means you need to examine your heart. If there's sin, you need to confess sin. If there's messed up relationships, you need to leave and go make that right. And If you want to come tomorrow and have the Lord's Supper, we'll, we'll have it here, and I'll let you do that. Um, I want to talk to you today about a couple of things. Um, first of all, I'm going to give you just a little bit about church history, and then we're going to look at some scriptures when Jesus was actually praying. Um, throughout church history, we've had two extremes. The church has gone to one of two extremes. First is isolation, where, where we, we think people are bad, so I don't want to be around bad people. I want to be a good person, so we isolate ourselves. It's kind of like the holy huddle that we've talked about, I know, in the Baptist churches, where we get in there and we don't really like um, other people. We don't even like other Christians. We only like the people we like, and people are bad, so we try to stay away from bad people so that we can be good. That's one side. The other side is embracing the world, where I look like, act like, dress like, talk like, do everything so much like non-Christians that no one would know that I'm a Christian. And in fact, if I were to tell them I was a Christian, they'd be shocked because we are just like them. Now, if you read the New Testament, you're going to see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four, um, we call them the Gospels, first four books of the New Testament. This is eyewitness testimony to who Jesus is and who and what he did. If you read that, you see that Jesus didn't stay away. He didn't isolate himself from sinners. In fact, he was called the friend of sinners. But when you read those first four books of the New Testament, you also see that Jesus didn't act like sinners. He was very, very different. So Jesus has a different idea for us than, than isolation or becoming like the world, he wants us to change the world through contact with them, direct contact with them. Now, let me, excuse me, a couple of things about church history. First of all, for the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians were just kind of tolerated or they were severely persecuted. And then along around 312 AD, Constantine is emperor and and he's rumored to be, have become a Christian during his reign he issued a decree protecting Christians uh, from persecution. Now, this is a big deal if you know anything about how Christians were treated. For example, Nero, when he was emperor, he used to light Christians on fire, burn them on a stake to light up his garden parties. That's how twisted he was. Other um, emperors, they um, they thought themselves were gods, you know, like all of the mythological Greek uh, gods. They thought themselves one of those. So now all of a sudden you have Constantine come along. He is an emperor and he gives protection to these Christ followers. And so what happens is you, you get, um, this time of tolerance. Tolerance is not a good word when it comes to Christianity, but anyway, you get this time of tolerance for whatever form of Christianity you wanted to practice. Many years later, Theodosius actually made it illegal not to be Christians and declared the Catholic church as the one and only true church. And anytime you study church history, here's what you find. Whenever Christianity is persecuted, it grows like wildfire. Whenever there is no opposition to Christianity, people tend to um, water down Christianity and you have things like the Dark Ages. You have things like people looking exactly like the world. Now, we don't want the church 
to run the government. That's Islam. That's not what we're trying to talk about. Islam, there is no difference between church and, and state. It is exactly the same. That's not what we want. But neither do we want the government to run the church. The government is not evil, although there are evil people in government. The government itself is not evil. In Romans 13, Paul tells us that we're supposed to respect and submit to the governing authorities because God has allowed them into our lives. We submit to them until their laws contradict God's laws, and then we submit to a higher authority. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks ahead. Um, Now, what we want the government to do, we want them to focus on clean water, national defense, good highways. But when it comes to matters of the heart, that is not what government was designed to do. When it comes to morality, the condition of men's hearts and souls, that's God's area. That's the church's area. See, here's the issue with, with government. You cannot legislate morality. And governments try to do this all the time. Government has been making policy decisions about theological issues as long as there have been governments around. Governments argue about things like, um, when does life begin? That's a theological issue, and it's told to us in the scripture by God that, that life begins at conception. It's not for governments to decide. The one who created us has already decided that. The government argues about things like marriage. Well, you don't have to do that. Even Jesus himself goes back to Adam and Eve, the very first two. He said, have you not read that God created them male and female? Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. There's, there's, there's male and female. God created them that way. And you don't, a government doesn't get to decide whether, whether marriage is man or woman, whatever it is decided by God. That's a theological issue. This gender nonsense that's going on. You don't get to tell God you made a mistake. God is the one who creates us. According to the scripture, God knits us together in our mother's wombs. He knows what our gender is. It's it's assigned to us in our mother's womb. You don't get to say to God, you don't get to thumb your nose at him and say, you screwed up, God, when you made me. No, that, that's a theological issue that God has already determined. So we, we, we don't want the government involved in that. This is something that God has already declared. Now, go back to the 300s. For 300 years, you've had this Christianity thing, and then all of a sudden, uh, Constantine says it's, it's protected, and it becomes really, really difficult to figure out who the real Christians are and who the fake Christians are. And then when Theodosius makes it illegal not to be Christian, don't you think everybody is going to identify as Christian if it's illegal not to be Christian? So there was this huge um, division where some people said, I want to be a true Christian. And so the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to go out in a monastery. Some of them are going to take uh, vows of silence so that they don't have to deal with people at all. Is that what Jesus did? No. And so they, they said, we won't even have relationships. That'll fix us. That'll make us better. No, that's not what Jesus decided. And, and true believers you, didn't want to be around fake believers. They just wanted to get away from dirty people. And a lot of churches have done this. But I don't think that's new life. Honestly, as new life, I don't think we're the type that, that try to say we're better than anybody else. We, we don't do that. But here's what I do think is the problem with new life. Most of us struggle with embracing the lifestyle of people outside these walls. In fact, for many of you here today, for many people who call new life their home, there's absolutely no difference between your lifestyle and someone who's far from God. Now, let me, let me ask you, because some of you are going to get upset. That's right. Get upset at Jesus, because I'm going to show you what Jesus said. Don't get upset at the messenger. If we were to take you to a court of law today and prosecute you on whether you're a Christian or not, 
would there be enough evidence to convict you? Other than coming to church, the vast majority of people come to church here once, maybe a month, once every six weeks, six months. I don't know. And, and I'm not saying that church makes you say, but I'm saying, would there be evidence to convict you? If there's not enough evidence for someone to say that's a Christ follower, then you're embracing the world. You're on the wrong side of the equation. So before you get mad at me, let's, let's look at what Jesus had to say. Now we're going to look at John chapter 17. This is actually the Lord's prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, the, the one that says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, all that. That's not the Lord's prayer. That was a model prayer. Jesus' disciples said, teach us to pray. He said, pray like this. And, and he never intended for it to be words that we repeated over and over and over again until they had no meaning. In John chapter 17, Jesus is actually praying to his Father. And what Jesus says is hugely significant. Pick it up in verse 13. Now I am coming to you. There's a capital Y there that Jesus, God, the son is praying to God, the father. He's not praying for God's benefit. This is recorded for our benefit. Notice what he says. I told them his followers, his disciples, I told them many things while I was with so they would be filled with my joy. Why did Jesus tell them many things? So they'd be filled with what? So circle those two words, my joy on your listening guard guide. Those are, those are two big things. Jesus joy. He said, I told them many things so they'd be filled with my joy. Then look at the next sentence. I have given them your word. Your word is the Bible. So I want you to circle those, your word, those two words, your word, because that's a big deal. Now notice what Jesus says. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. And, and you know, for a lot of years, I, I don't think you could, you, I, I don't think in America we understood what it meant to be hated because we're Christ followers. If you don't know yet, you will. You keep following Jesus over these next decades and you'll know what it means to be hated for following Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. So this is Jesus words. He's saying, we're not supposed to be isolated. We're supposed to be in the world. God just protect them from the devil. There is an unholy spirit. We, we worship God, the father, God, son, God, the Holy spirit. There's an unholy spirit that wants to attack you, wants to destroy your life. And he says, dear God, protect them from the unholy spirit. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. We don't want to be on this side, which says we're going to isolate ourselves from, uh, from um, non-believers. We don't want to be on this side where there's no distinction. We want to, we want to meet the target that Jesus has established. So how do we do that? Three things. Number one, remember that Jesus way is always better. It's always better. Let me give you an example. Jesus said the whole reason he taught his followers God's way was so that they would be filled with joy. Joy is different from happiness. Happiness depends on what happens to me. Good things happen to me, then I'm happy. Bad things happen to me, then I'm unhappy. Uh, on Friday, I was working on my commercial mower and I was doing things to my mower I had never done before. Something that should have taken me an hour and a half took me six hours to finish. Now, um, usually I don't respond real well to that. 
So I'm having to go in and I'm having to Google or get on YouTube and find, you know, people doing my, my, um, brand of mower and watching videos. And I'd go out and then I couldn't find this. And then there's a phone call and then the cat does something dumb and, and just all this stuff is happening. Well, every time I would walk in the house, Rachel was playing, um, Christian music. And so I'd go in, I'd be sitting down and type something in and, and you know, I'd find myself singing along and my attitude was better. Imagine that, you know, Christian music affecting a pastor in a good way. Um, and I thought, I'm going to take my little uh, Bluetooth speaker outside on the driveway, because at that time, I didn't know it was going to take me six hours. But um, I go out on the driveway, and I start playing all this music. And, and you know, stuff is just happening. And, and every time something would happen, for some reason, I didn't get frustrated. I didn't kick anything. I didn't say shoot um, or scubala or anything like that. Um, I, I just had a good attitude. And I thought, who am I? And, and I'm not kidding. One time I was walking across and, and I think it may have even, I don't remember, but it may have been that my heart is yours that we just sang. And it comes to that build that real loud part. And as God is my witness on my driveway, I'm filthy. I've been crawling under this mower. I've got dirt and, and oil and hydraulic oil. I've got it all over me. And I just stop and I raise my hands and I started praising God right in the middle of my driveway. I said, this Jesus stuff works. Right? Joy doesn't have anything to do with what's happening to you. Joy is supernatural. And it comes from God. When we go to Haiti, eight weeks we go to Haiti. <laughs> and we're going to this place called Jacmel. J-A-C-M-E-L. In case you want to pray for, for Jacmel. Um, when, where we're going, there are people that do not have electricity. They do not have running water. Some of them, their houses are really tents or tarps that are leaned up against something. When it rains, water just washes through. And if something's not attached to the floor, it's going down the hill because we're on top of a hill. But these Haitian people are some of the most joy-filled people I've ever met in my life. You want to know why? Joy isn't tied to circumstances. Joy is tied to God. And these people know him. I think many times much better than you and I know him. And we're going to be on the top of this mountain. And, and I thought we were going to work on this school because we're staying in this church. We're actually sleeping in the church building. Um, the first Sunday, we're going to have church outside because I said, oh, well, we'll need to get, gather everything up. And they said, no, they won't let you. They'll, they'll take their speakers outside. So on the top of this mountain where you can see the ocean, we're going to be worshiping God uh, the first Sunday that we're there. And I thought we were going to work on their school because they've been having school inside. And when I was there, when Hannah and I were there in November, they were building this little school. We'll come to find out a college had raised a bunch of money and gone down there and and they've almost finished the school. And so when we were there, another pastor was uh, going around with us, telling us what all was going on in all these places. And he said, this pastor will never tell you this, but his house is falling down. And he said, if there's anything your church can do, then, then that would be great. So I'm talking to our consultant this week and I said, Hey, if, if the school's done, can we, we're going to have about $2,000 worth of ministry money because part of what, uh, you know, it's $1,750 to go a hundred dollars of that goes towards ministry, which is means buying the materials. So what, what we found out was this, this pastor is, is severely persecuted where he is. His wife's dad has some land very near the church. We're going to actually clear off the foundation, set the foundation. If we have about $2,000, we can get most of this, this, um, house built. And if, if you just want to contribute money towards that, the more money we take, the more materials we can buy to build this. Here's what 
happened. I was talking to this, this young lady named Mel. She's our, our, um, United States consultant. And then Armando is, is a good friend of ours. That's been with us every time we've been in Haiti. He's the Haitian consultant, um, that actually lives in, in Haiti. Well, when I was talking to Mel, she almost started crying. I said, Hey, can we, can we start working on his house? And she goes, Oh my gosh. She said, Pastor Jude, J-O-U-D, if you want to write that down, it's short for Judlin, but Pastor Jude, he said, he will never, ever ask for anything. He'll ask for something for the church. He'll ask for something for a church member, maybe somebody in the community, but he will never ask you to work on his house. And so then when I talked to Almondo, I was telling him, he goes, dude, this is one of the coolest guys you're ever going to meet. He's got a servant's heart. He loves the Lord. He's filled with joy and he lives in a house that's falling down. So we're going to go and we're going to start working on his house and, and hopefully other groups will go and work on this house as well. When we finish that, we're just going to find other houses in the community and just go start building houses five, six, seven years. I don't know how long God's going to leave us there, but you can be involved in that either through going. In fact, some of you, I think are supposed to go. Some of you in this room have not signed up to go. You're supposed to go this year. Um, you just haven't been obedient to the Lord. Some of you are stressed over money. We're going to talk about that in, in a few minutes um, when we have our Haiti meeting. If God's called you, God's going to provide. So you just need to really spend some time talking to God. Well, let me, let me finish this joy thing. If you're not filled with joy today, it means one of two things. Either you do not know Jesus or you're at one of the extremes. You're over here isolating from other Christ followers or you're just like the world. Those are really your only options because Jesus said, I will give you joy but you have to stay close to him. How many of you have uh, seen this magazine? Right? How many of you read it? Has anybody seen it? Come on, help me out. Did you know the more you read better homes and gardens, the less you like your homes and gardens? <laughs> That's what it's designed to do, to make you not want your stuff. And it doesn't have to be better homes and gardens. It could be fast cars. I don't know. It could be whatever it is that you like hunting. I like gun magazine. <laughs> I saw a t-shirt said all rifles matter. I want that shirt. Um, I just like that. But, but all of these things are designed to make you not like what you have, not be content with what you have so that you'll go out and buy something because the unholy spirit, the evil one, wants to wear you out because it's exhausting never being satisfied with who you are or what you have. If he can keep you running around, he wins. Jesus says, I can fill you up with something that is that is that will fill you up and will never end, but you have to stay close to me. I'm going to skip that next part, Travis. Go down to uh, John 17, verse 14. God's way is always better. Joy is always better. That's the first thing is God's way is better. Second thing is God's word is not optional. It's not optional. Let me read this to you. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So here's the deal. God's word is not optional. Jesus said, I have given them your what? Your word. That's the scripture. 
He says, I've given them your word and, and God's word will bring change. The reason many of you don't like reading your Bible is because you're reading it for information and God never designed it for information. He designed it for transformation. When you get into the Bible, the Bible gets into you and it changes you. I know way too many people who've been exactly the same for 50 years, calling themselves a Christ follower, but there's no change. I question whether they even know Jesus or if they do, they're not on the right path because when you walk with Jesus, he will change you. His word will change you. And see, a lot of people say, well, I want, I want enough Christianity to, to get me to heaven, but I don't want enough Christianity to, to make me weird. I want to be saved from hell, but I don't want to be weird. Well, the thing is, Christianity is all or nothing. And, and here's the deal. Most of us in here are fairly moral people. That's a great endorsement, isn't it? You're fairly moral. Let me tell you the problem with morality. There are many moral people in hell because morality is not enough. Mormons are moral, but if what Jesus Christ said, Mormons are going to hell. Hindus are moral people, but if what Jesus said is true, Hindus are going to hell. Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're moral people, but if what Jesus said is true, then, then those folks are going to hell because morality is not enough. Look what Jesus says in verse 17. Make them holy, not moral. Jesus is praying. He says, make them holy, not moral. It's different. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. I give myself as a holy sacrifice. He keeps saying truth and holy. Those are big words here. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Morality is outward. Christianity is calling us to be more than moral, to do something on the inside. Our character should be changed, and that only happens when you're regularly in the word of God. One of my favorite verses is Hebrews 4.12. Here's the God's word translation. God's word is living, active, and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and cuts as deep as the place where soul and spirit meet, the place where joints and marrow meet. God's word judges a person's thoughts and intentions. God's word changes us. If you're not being changed, you're not encountering the word of God. It's not even optional. A few years ago, Janie and I were getting off a, a cruise ship on a Sunday morning, and I try not to do that, but this was a Sunday to Sunday, so we missed two Sundays. We're driving home. There was no way to be in church on that Sunday because you can't get off at Galveston and make it back here. Just couldn't couldn't do it. So we're listening to Christian radio as we're driving down the road. I said, we're going to have church as we drive back to, to Palestine. So we're listening to Christian music, and on Christian radio, what happens at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Christian radio? Church comes on. Yes, some of y'all... Either don't listen to Christian. Anyway, okay, never mind. So we're listening, and the first, two, I'm not kidding, the first two or three preachers that came on, I was falling asleep. And I'm like, dude, this is bad. This is bad. I'm, I'm looking at Janie, I'm going, I can't do this. And she goes, I can't either. So I kept changing. Finally, we get to this guy who years ago was the, um, was the speaker for Texas A&M's Breakaway, this big, massive college uh, ministry. Well, it happened to Greg Mott was the guy that was, was speaking, and he was incredibly relevant, and here's what he said. This got my attention. He said, and by the way, this is before Facebook started putting it in memes, all right? You'll understand when I say this. He said, it's not the ship in the water that's the problem. It's the water in the ship. Now, how many of you have seen that on Facebook? This guy said it long before it was on Facebook. I'm just telling you, Greg Mott was first. He said, it's the water in the ship. A ship was not designed to be on land. A ship was not designed to have water inside. It was designed to be in the water. He said, in the same way, 
It's not the Christian in the world that's the problem. It's the world that lives in the Christian that's the problem. He said, we were never designed to just come here and then be no different and go out and, and, and pretend we're not even Christians. He said, we were designed to come into the, 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 the church and be fed through worship and through the word of God to be changed and then go out into the world and be an agent for change. And in fact, we're not cruise ships when we leave here. We're on a life-saving mission when we walk out the door. Don't forget that. People drive by here all the time. People are going to hell. And we don't care. Live my life. Pay my bills. Y'all just go to hell. I've always said we ought to, not we, but churches I've been in, I said this at a deacon's meeting, I said we ought to put on the marquee out there, y'all just go to hell because we don't care. Because it was the truth. As long as I'm comfortable, don't you ruffle feathers, preacher. Y'all just go to hell. We started this church because we don't want anybody to go to hell. And, and I have to say it over and over. If you don't want to be a part of a church that reaches people for Christ, there's a door here, there's a door there, there's a, there's a door up front. Pick one. Because if I have to choose between somebody who's already in the kingdom of God and somebody who's going to hell, I'm choosing the person that's going to hell to reach. If that makes you uncomfortable. There are 122 churches inside Palestine. You go find you one. I'll see you in heaven. I get a little fired up. Because we, we don't get to make up what the church does. That's in the scripture. I have a little kid's Bible here. <laughs> it says the same thing. The church exists for people who aren't even in the church yet. So don't be thinking this is some country club where you get to come and sit on your butt and get fat. You're fed the word of God so that you serve, so that you go rescue people. So you tell someone about Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, dude. I got way off there. Travis back there. Where is he? I just, I went way off the script. Okay. Picture. There you go. It's funny when his eyes are blank back there. Y'all seen this, right? This is funny because, um, I went and bought some today. These are icebreakers and now it says one. So you open up this side and just one comes out down here. It says many, you open up and, and half, you know, you can just pour the whole thing. Now here's what it used to say. Notice this. This is an old picture to share, not to share, not making this up. The one that has one, that's what they say to share. They changed it. So you want one, Travis, you know, give you one. Me, I get a bunch, not to share. That's the mindset of most people in the United States. I'll give you one. I'll keep a hundred because I need them. Right? We're stingy because we've not been changed by the word of God. We don't give to the church because we think, well, God doesn't need my money. He doesn't. But God tells you that you're supposed to give to his kingdom. So it's an act of obedience. Whether you like it or not is not even the issue. When you're changed by God's word, 
you, you're much more likely to open up the fat end and say, you have a need here. And you trust God to replenish. All right. Last thing. God sends us to a dirty world. Jesus way is better. God's word changes us and God sends us to a dirty world. Look what he says. Protect them from the evil one. They do not belong in this world any more than I do. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. It's not the boat in the water that's the problem. It's the water in the boat. It's the Christian that goes out in the world and acts just like the world. That's the problem. Because Jesus said we're supposed to be light. Turn those lights off for me. So my question to you is how bright is your light shining? If you call yourself a Christian, your job is to step outside these walls and make sure the light of Jesus Christ shines. Here's what most Christians do. We, we shine maybe like this. Not enough to really matter. Don't want anybody to know. When God says, let your light shine, go ahead and put it on. Dude, I can't even see when they do that to me. Some of you can't see because I polished my head this morning. <laughs> If our lights were bright, okay, dude, I can't do this anymore. You got to turn on, man. Y'all disappeared. Everybody was gone. It's the, it's the rapture. <laughs> if, if our lights shined brightly outside these walls, it would make a difference. Here's, here's the thing. What if, how can you, how can you shine brightly? Why not be honest and be exceptional at whatever you do? What if every employee in here was, was known for integrity and exceptionalism at their job, especially Christians? What if Christians were known as exceptionally in, uh, uh, people of integrity and exceptional spouses and parents and teachers and lawyers? Is that even possible? I'm sorry, Mark's not here. <clears throat> if we did that, the gates of hell would tremble. Because people would be clamoring to get in the kingdom of God. I want you to bow your heads for just a minute. We have a registration card basket back. We've got joy basket. We've got yeah, joy basket. How we give or you give online. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know you're, you're bowing your heads, bow your heads, close your mouth. <clears throat> Normally we make noises, but, but we're going to do the Lord's supper today. And here's, here's what the Lord's supper is. If, if you're a Christ follower, Jesus on the night that he was betrayed said, this bread is my body broken for you. It's symbolic. So when you take the bread, you're remembering that Jesus died on the cross. When you drink the cup, he said, this is my blood sprinkled for you. It's, it's not actually bread. It, it's not actually his body. It's not actually his blood. It's symbolic of Jesus giving his life. And he said, every time you do this, you are proclaiming my death and resurrection until I come back. So we're preaching a sermon today when we take the Lord's Supper. So you're supposed to examine yourself. If there is blatant sin in your life, I'm just going to tell you, if you're living with somebody and you're not married to that somebody, you probably shouldn't take the Lord's Supper because the Bible says, don't you dare come to the Lord's table in vain. If you're, if you're living in open sin, don't come because I, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Now, if, if you've confessed your sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, you come to the table. But if there's, if there's a relationship that you need to make right, go make that right before you ever come back. Guys are going to play some music and, and I'm just going to ask you when you're ready, you pray as long as you need to. When you're ready, you come to one of the tables at the front, just take the, the bread and the cup. If you want to come as a family, I always think that's cool. And then when you're done, I'm just going to ask you to leave quietly because there's going to be some people who spend some time here in the presence of the Lord.
If you if you go into Haiti, I'll meet you in the living room in about five minutes. Go ahead, Travis. When you're finished with the Lord's Supper, you can be dismissed. On this thirsty desert ground.